Listen, it's that time of year again. Well, this is, you know, this is where car guys, we all sort of start to uh, foam at the mouth and we get excited because, you know, it's cruising season and it's car show season. The car doctor. There's that emotional attachment to cars. Everybody remembers it's the first date, the first car, the first, you know, whatever. Uh, The first time you drove. I remember mine. And that first time going down the highway. I mean, my God, it was like, it was like I was sailing the Queen Mary across the Atlantic. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Here's Ronnie. Hey, start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here this Memorial Day weekend edition of the Car Doctor. We're live always at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions about your automobile, whatever they might be. Um, we follow the prescription here that there is no car problem unrepairable. Everything can be sorted out. Every car can be restored back to working in proper order. It just takes some thought process and some diagnostics, and um, it doesn't take a parts shotgun. Uh, so stop throwing parts at your car. Let's talk about it and uh, solve whatever you've got going on, fender to fender and door to door. I see the staff is here. Happy Memorial Day weekend, too. I shouldn't say happy Memorial Day weekend. I apologize. You know, I, I think about Uncle Steve, right? Uncle Steve is gone now. He's, he passed last year this time. Um, Uncle Steve was my great uncle, for those of you that are new to the show. He was a P-51 fighter pilot in the Second World War. And um, we used to have him on from time to time, and uh, it, was a, it was a great thing, uh, you know, to talk about what Memorial Day is and was really about. Because it's not about the barbecue. It's not about the trip down the shore if you're near the shore. It's not about the weekend getaway. Um, uncle Steve always said, and I believe this, uh, that he's, I still think about this, I believe he's right to this day, that Memorial Day is a solemn observation of, um, of, of of what it meant to get us here as an independent nation and um, the sacrifices that our, 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 our fighting forces have made. Yes, Tom? It's because of guys like Uncle Steve that we can go to the beach and have the barbecue today. Right. right. I, and I didn't want to be cliche this year. I was looking on Facebook uh, yesterday and this morning, and someone had that. And we've all seen it, that video about, you know, you get your day at the beach because of their day at the beach. And it was footage of the, you know, the Normandy invasion, D-Day, and so many other invasions like it. And, you know, it's, it's the contrast of uh, the, the, the French coastline today with, with beachgoers and the French coastline in, 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 in 44, June the 6th, the 75th anniversary is coming up, by the way, and um, you know, what that was about. And you look at the insanity that's around us today of, of how we perceive freedom, but I don't want to go there. This is a car show. Um, uh, I just want to suffice it to say that, uh, you know what, it's, 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 it's a solemn day. Let's be thankful we have people that step up and uh, take care of us then and now, and uh, we'll move the day forward. I want to talk to you about the shop a little bit. We, um, before we open up the phone lines, I have, a, I have an interesting story to kind of switch gears, if I may. Um, 2006 Ford Focus came into the shop this week, and this follows my prescription that there's no car out there that can't be fixed. It just takes some thought. 
And the problem was the idle, the check engine light was on. The RPM was higher than expected. The RPM would surge anywhere from 1,100 RPM all the way up to 3,500 RPM. It was so bad at times that when Rip, that's the owner's name, um, would tell me that you would get to a stop sign. Sometimes the idle would be at three grand, and it would drag you through the stop sign, right? It would override the brakes. Consequently, I know why the brake rotors pulse, because they've got to be overheated. It's just incredible. Um, and, you know, he bought the car that way. Two or three mechanics have looked at it. And, you know, an, another Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi moment. Help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope, right? So I, I went through diagnostics. It had a P0507, which is idle RPM higher than expected. And I went through the diagnostic routine. Well, it had a parts shotgun used. Somebody went up to it with a pile of parts. They'd thrown a, a throttle body at it. They threw an idle air control motor at it. They, you know, it looked like had changed some other things that were completely unnecessary to it. But I guess any part under the hood that could fix a problem that might somehow be related. Sure, why not? Let's just throw that at the car, too. My first step was the focus on a problem like this is what are we chasing? We're chasing a higher than normal idle speed. What makes a car run higher? Air, right? They, they can feed it all the fuel they want. It's not going to raise and lower idle speed. Oxygen and how that's added to that mix is going to raise and lower idle speed. Look what happens when you fan a fire, right? You fan a fireplace, the logs will go from that dull, you know, smoky fire to a bright orange, white hot. It, it increases its ferocity. Same thing with a car. You put more air into the mix. You put more oxygen into the mix. It combines with the fuel. And in this case of a car, the computer can look at, you know, injection trim and raise and lower fuel delivery and, and raise and lower idle speed. So we're looking for an air leak somehow. Well, I ran through a fuel trim. Fuel trim was dead nuts on the money. Didn't change one bit. It was right where it was supposed to be. It was running like 2% long-term, almost 1% short-term. It was right there. It was fine. Well, I don't think we have any vacuum leaks at idle or off idle, so I don't think that's the issue. I think we've got a control problem. I unplugged the idle air control motor, and there was no change. And that's part of the diagnosis. If you unplug the idle air control motor... It should go into default, and it should run and resort back to its base idle. Hmm. Took the idle air control motor off. Noticed that there was some epoxy glue or something, like the guy was going to glue the motor <laughs> to, the, to the throttle body to, like, you know, I guess the gasket wasn't enough. And, you know, the gasket on this particular car is, is one of those rubber elastomer, elastometer. Uh, it was a rubber gasket that... Um, Ford uses, and you can, it's, it's, a re, it's a reusable gasket, actually, and they work really well. I've never had one be a problem, I'm not saying that it can't be, but why you would glue this thing up, snot it up with a little RTV or glue or whatever it was, it didn't make any sense. So I said, you know, and I could see that it was stuck. It was stuck partially open, and I couldn't get it to move. So to me, bad IAC. Put the IAC on, and right away the idle RPM is normal. Hey, well, look at that, I fixed something. Took it out down the road. All of a sudden, I find myself approaching the first traffic light, and the RPM is stuck at 3,000 RPM. I'm like, huh? Wait a minute. Am I dreaming? Like, what's going on here? Put the car in neutral, brought it down, shut it off, went back to the shop, and I thought about this for a second. Let me see. So throttle body checked out right. Minimum idle speed checked out right. I have control because when I plugged in the new IAC, I unplugged it, and there was a difference in idle RPM. Right away, it, it didn't change, or it changed like it was supposed to. 
What am I missing? And then I remembered that sometimes it's not putting things together. It's how you put things together. And I've always said that, you know, just having assembly doesn't count. Proper assembly. As a matter of fact, I have a sign in the office at the shop that talks about um, doing things doing things correct on a regular basis ensures correct response. It says doing things correctly on a regular basis ensures correct response. So it's not pra- it's not perfect. It's not practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice makes perfect. I said, I wonder if the idle air control motor is on backwards, because it would. It it could be on backwards. And it's conceivable. I've seen it on a few Ford products that you can actually have the idle air control motor on upside down. And you think about it, now instead of having the control plunger and metered air change on that side of the throttle body, you've got it on the other side of the throttle body. And it would make sense. The computer would go nuts trying to control idle speed, but it wouldn't do it until it came off idle, which is why it idled fine in the shop and didn't go nuts until I got it out on the road. I went looking. Sure enough, there's the bulletin, which I remembered seeing. I mean, this is in 06. I saw this 10 years ago. Took the idle, idle air control motor off, flipped it around, started it up, went around the block three times, car's fixed. He was stunned. He said, I got to tell you, I bought this car, and I think I got it cheap because nobody could fix the idle. So that means, right, that, that it went... I don't know who worked on it before Rip bought it. And then three guys worked on it after Rip, including Rip. Rip's an old Harley Kawasaki motorcycle rider. He's a cool older dude. You know, he's into things mechanical. Um, and, you know, just there's got to be a reason why it does what it does. You can't give up. You can't stop. And it sometimes it defies logic. And when it defies logic, look, when you eliminate the ridiculous, all that's left is the obvious. And there was nothing else left. I had control. I had functionality. I had everything until I took it down the road. What if you simply do this? Flip it around. And that's your takeaway as we kick off this hour of the car doctor. If you can't fix a car and you got a problem that you can't solve, what if you do this? Think about the next step, and maybe that solves it for you. Come on back, and I'll help solve whatever you've got. 855-560-9900. Ron and the car doctor. We'll be right back. Whether it's a little red Corvette or a Yugo, you've come to the right place to get that car fixed. Ron Anani and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Let's go to John in Mississippi, 90 Chevy Cavalier. John, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I got a little tiny split in my CV boot just outside of the end of the inner clamp okay. on the passenger side, and right. it's a... I mean, it's about an eighth of an inch long, and I cleaned it really good. Uh, what is your thoughts about these kits where you can leave everything in place and just replace the CV boot without taking everything off? Um, it's a split boot that you can put on, and they come in three or four different sizes. Have you had any experience with those? Yeah, you're talking about the split boot kits where you leave the axle in place, you take the old boot off, and it's like a clamshell. You just glue the two halves together and put it on the, put it on the axle. Yeah, what do you think of those? Um, you know, I think they were all the rage 15 years ago, and it was it was a great idea while it lasted, but the fact becomes that in the majority of cases, by the time people realized they needed an axle boot, it was kind of too late. 
you know, once that joint's open and the grease is contaminated, and I'm not saying that's in your case, but, you know, yeah. in the case of where the where the boot's open and the grease is contaminated and all that grit's already, road grit is inside the joint, you know, mm -hmm. the, the damage is done. Just doing a boot became passe because you typically ended up in six to eight months with a noisy outer CV boot so or CV joint. So, you know, the price of aftermarket axles came way down. And you can go out now, you know, you got an O'Reilly Auto Parts near you, John? Sure. Get sure. out to get out go over to O'Reilly Auto Parts and see what they have. I guarantee you they're going to have axles for that thing of good quality and brand anywhere from 60 to 200 dollars depending upon what's in the budget and what they have. And, you know, they'll work fine. Now the question mm -hmm. becomes uh, you know, what's in your budget? The other, the other, the other part of that question is, you know, do you have the physical ability to, you know, split the knuckle, take it apart, get it out of the trans, uh, and, and so on? Um, the, the, the other thing to be aware of is to answer your question directly. Yes, do those split boot kits work? Yes, but it's a lot of a lot of making them successful is the prep. All right, that that mating surface. I'm sure you've read the instructions. That mating surface has to be hospital clean so that when you put the two halves together. They, you know, the glue is, it's, it's, a, it's a special kind of contact cement. I think it's an anaerobic sealer, I think was the word, that it, it dries in the absence of oxygen so that it, re it remains a really strong bond, if I recall correctly. It's been a while since I've looked at the kits. But if you can get a good permanent adhesion there, the question is, are these the original axles on the car? The car is 90, 2020. It's, the car is almost 30 years old. You know what kind yes, of yes, it is the so, original axles. And and how many miles are on the car? About eighty-five thousand. You know you're 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 slowly in the range of where we would normally we would re think about replacing axles because we'd have to because they'd start getting noisy. Mm -hmm. So okay. you know it's do you have the ability and the space and the tooling to replace the axle? I can give it a shot. I've done just about everything else on this car. So. All right. I mean, listen. Uh, you, you know, you, you're going to need a fairly large, uh, fairly large socket for the outer axle bolt, right? Look mm -hmm. at look at the steering knuckle. All right. First of all, you got to get it up on jack stands. Take the tire off. Get it up yeah. on jack stands. Support it. Got to be safe. Then, what typically would happen is, you you will find that if you, it's either you're going to either disconnect it from the lower ball joint or disconnected from the upper strut bolts, all right? If there's no cam adjustment for alignment on the upper strut bolts, I say take it apart from the strut. It'll give you the ability okay. to, you know, it, 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 it's easier that way, all right? Catch the jack stand on the subframe back behind the lower control arm so that if you have to pry down on the control arm, in other words, don't put, don't put the jack stand on the control arm because then you're, you know, you've got your weight on what it is that you're going to have to pry on, if you understand what I'm saying. Oh, right? yeah. I'm looking at it right now. So, so you know, there's a space behind the control arm of about five, six inches, right, before it runs into that uh, body bushing. Right. Right? You can put the jack stand there, split it at the strut. If there's no, if there's no alignment adjustments, split it at the strut, okay? Drive those two bolts out. Now, something sticks in my brain that 90, that generation Cavalier, the bolt may not turn. It, the nut will turn, but the bolt won't because the bolt may, may be splined into the knuckle. So it might be if you loosen it up and you can't get the bolt to spin, gently, well, I would put the nut back on part of the way and take a center punch and 
punch the bolt through the through the knuckle. All right. And I have you put the nut on because I want you to protect the threads. And then as, as you drive the bolt out, loosen the nut a little bit, drive it out some more, loosen the bolt a little, nut a little bit, and so on until you get it out. And I think, the, I think under the head bolt of the flange there, I think that's spline. Take those out. Now the knuckle's going to flip forward to you, all right? Mm -hmm. Before you do this, you've also got the nut off the outer end of the axle, all right? So that as the knuckle comes forward, you're going to push the outer CV joint into towards the vehicle, and that separates oh, it, all right? Do you have an air chisel? No, I don't have one of those. Um... Okay. So, you know, it might also be a case where you have to, where you have to pry on the axle outer joint, all right? And without an air chisel, I would tell you, you know, loosen the nut on the joint first, try gently, you know, try pushing in on it. If it doesn't go... Take a center punch, nut on the joint, tap it in. It'll go a little bit, and then it's going to bottom out. You don't want to hit it hard. You don't want to drive it home because you're pushing against the inside side gears and the shaft on the trans. Just tap it in enough okay. to loosen it. And now loosen your two strut bolts. And now as you take it apart, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a two things are going to happen at once motion. These two bolts are going to come out. The knuckle's going to come towards you, and you're going to push in on the outer, on the outer joint. All right? You will probably find if it's a which which side axle is it? Passenger side. Passenger side. So it's a right side axle. You're probably going to find that if you turn the wheel all the way to the right when you do this, is the tie rod on the front of the knuckle or on the back? On the back. On the back. So turn the wheel all the way to the right, and that will give you more latitude and stretch when you when the knuckle flops down. It'll open it up more. Now the joint's going to come out of the knuckle. And now all you have to do is get underneath with a pry bar, pop the axle off. There's a little snap ring where it goes into the trans. Pop it out. It's going to come out. You'll lose a little trans fluid. You'll have to add to it. Just reverse the process to put it back in. If you got any questions, you give me a call. Get over to your local O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We're on Andy the Car Doctor here. Let's get over and talk to, let's go to Doug in Iowa, 06 Ford F-150. Hey, Doug, how are you? How can I help? I'm good, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, the vehicle, the F-150, first started, the gauges um, come up high, go back, and then go flat. The tack, the speedometer and such that don't work, and then all the red lights will come on, and then the gauge will uh, beep, make some noises like that. Right. And sometimes... It'll go away uh, soon. Sometimes it'll go for maybe a, uh, an hour or so before they come back. Um, and it seems to be I happen to notice it more when it's cold and damp than on a dry, hot day. Cold and damp. Okay. Is it and then, any, any, well, any red brake warning light staying on, anything like that? No, I've got a check engine light that stays on. Uh, I've had my mechanic clear it, and then it came back on again when the gauges went crazy. Okay. Any any codes? Has he pulled any codes out of it? He he tried to pull some codes and store it, but he was busy that day, and so okay. basically he just cleared the codes and sent me on my merry way. Is 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 he using an OBD two scanner, or is he going in by year make model? Do you know? 
Uh, it was some sort of fancy wireless scanner, something expensive. Okay. Well, I mean, it, it could be either way. Here's here's why I'm asking. All right. Um, it 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 really is a game now where. And I'm trying to think of the best example at the shop this week, but it happened again this week where I was working on something really innocuous, and I did a complete vehicle scan, and I found two other problems on the car that I wasn't even expecting because I looked at everything. And, you know, looking at everything is, is – I don't care about the check engine light. The check engine light just tells me something broken. It doesn't tell me everything that's broken. So you've got to look at, you've got to look at it all. What, what I'd like to know is on your truck – if the instrument cluster isn't working, and, and, and by the way, if the instrument cluster isn't working, the instrument cluster fault by itself wouldn't necessarily set a check engine light. However, the instrument cluster on your truck is a data communications center, <laughs> if you want to think of it like that. The PCM, the engine controller, talks to the trans controller and several other body modules through the gateway of the instrument cluster. All right. So it, it could be that the check engine light was on as a result of it lost communication with other modules along the way, and it just it turned on a check engine light. There is no, there there are no dash lights for instrument cluster issue. If you understand what right. I'm saying, and that's what the code will tell you. Yes, sir. Um, is the problem repeatable? Can you duplicate it at will, or does it take a certain number of days, or um, what what happens? It's not consistent. You, you might go for a week to two weeks, and it won't do anything or you might drive the truck and every time you start it you know if you're out shopping every time you start it it doesn't okay does does the air conditioning and heat work when the cluster is cockeyed everything works except for the gauges um, I did have one time uh, and that was this spring early um, the right rear brake light uh, burnout and then when you had the cruise control on and you'd put your turn signal on and shut the cruise control off. Okay. The next time it happens, Doug, I, I, I want your mechanic to do a complete vehicle scan. He's probably got a snap-on scanner. He's probably got the latest snap-on virus, modus, something wireless. Uh, good scanner. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying it has the ability to go in like a lot of the scanners today. It has the ability to go in and do what we call a complete code scan. I, I want to know what's in every module on the truck, all right? And I'm betting okay. it's I'm betting it's going to come up with U, like U-boat, U-codes. I bet you there's going to be things like a U-1900, a U-1950, different communication faults, all right? It is not uncommon for these trucks to actually have bad clusters. They fail internally because it's a big, giant circuit board. And the best diagnosis in a lot of cases is, um, you want to go through power and grounds at the connector at the back of the cluster and um, any where the ground wires lead off of to their contact point on the vehicle. Likely not a ground issue because the AC and the heat still work. That's why I asked that question. All right. But you still yeah. want to go through the process because this is a case of if he can catch it in the act, it's powers and grounds good. Yes. Okay. Communication fault. Yes likely going to be a replacement cluster. Be aware that if it's if it's a replace the cluster, uh the cluster will will require will require programming. He's gotta use um you know an approved scan tool or a Ford IDS. You know, it's 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 programming stuff. It's not something you can do just by plug and play. All right. Okay. All right. The, the the only other thing you can look at 
and just as a tip, it just occurred to me there is something else. Have him take a look at Fuse 21. All right? Fuse 21, and, and once in a blue moon, it's, it's Fuse 1 in the Underhood Fuse boxes. All right? And if he, looks, if he looks on the wiring for the instrument cluster, he'll see what 21 and 1 power. I believe they apply power on different legs of the cluster. Make, just make sure that the fuses, the blades of the fuses, they're push-style terminals, make sure they're not, the contacts aren't burned. 21 is a common problem also on these. But believe it or not, I've also seen, if it's the fuse I'm thinking of, 21 also on some of these trucks causes a no-start condition because it, it also has reference or um, involvement in the fuel pump circuit. Okay. All right? But, you'll, you know, it's, it's weird. You'll pull the fuse out. And I've learned to look at the fuse blades. If the fuse blades are black or charred looking, gee, that's not right. <laughs> you okay. know, and yep. you go, and, you know, like, what, what caused that? And then you find out that the, the circuit's overloaded and it's creating such a high current draw, it's starting to burn the end of the fuse and subsequently the fuse box. Okay. Um, you know, just, just uh, you know, bad connections at the fuse box. We're seeing Fords get a lot of havoc and a lot of issues. Right, and it, it does, uh, now that the check engine light comes on until that gets cleared, the transmission seems to shift a little firmer when you come into town, when you go from highway speeds down to 35, it seems to downshift kind of hard every now and then. Right, because it's in default. Yeah, okay. Car companies, you know, car companies will do everything they can to get you home because they'd rather have you get home and say, gee, the trans shifted a little cockeyed then, you know what, my Ford left me on the side of the road. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, don't take that, they don't take too kindly to that. Uh, I, I've got three of them, so I'm a Ford guy. So. Yeah, no, listen, I tell you what, we've got one, two, three. We've got three Fords in the family. I love every one of them. They're great. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of product there. There really is. I was kind of shocked when they talked this week about Ford having, uh, um, what was it, financial issues and laying off employees. I couldn't figure that out. I said, how could they, they make such a great vehicle? Um, I didn't make any sense to me, but you know, whatever. I'm not. I'm right. not the power that be. Um, okay. But yeah, by all means, do that. Talk to your mechanic. If that doesn't work for you, call me back. We can talk some more. Thank you, sir. He's a great guy. He listens to you too. Oh, my my. What's his name? Uh, Max. Max. Shout out to Max who's taking care of Doug. Max. I'm sure Max runs a great repair shop, and uh, he's. You know, I always say this, and people don't. People have a hard time understanding it. I think. Um, how many times somebody comes into the shop and their attitude is, I'm looking for an honest mechanic, I can't find one yet, I've been through three dozen. And I always think to myself, is it the person? Because there's a lot of people in this industry like myself, like Max, like so many other guys I can mention I've met over the years that try real hard every day just to fix a car. And you know what? They, they're, they're, they're heroes in my eyes, like some of the other heroes in our lives, and uh, um, they all deserve a tip of the wrench. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate the call. Welcome, sir. Thank you for taking my call. You're very welcome. I'm Ron Annie in the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Annie in the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Get out to the Car Doctor Facebook page and get out and check us out on cardoctorshow.com. And if you need my personal email, I do my best to try and answer every question or at least get the information up here on the show for all to share. Get out to Ron or go to and send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. Let's get over to Sally in Maine, 2012 Chevy Suburban, and some questions. Sally, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? 
Hi, thanks. I have a 2012 Suburban with about 112,000 miles on it. Okay. At 104, the engine went, and I replaced it. The GM dealer worked with GM. Right. I've only had it serviced at my dealer. At about 110,000 miles, there was a um, e-brake system that needed to be replaced, and now living in Maine and can't garage it because it's too big, it's starting to rust out, and I'm just wondering how long I should go with the 2012 Chevy Suburban and the longevity of it because I don't know many people who can afford a new one and I really love that vehicle. Well, yeah, and you know, it's listen, I'm sort of in, in a same but different boat. My 2004 Suburban has uh, 66,000 miles on it because I get out a whole lot. And, you know, it's 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 sort of garage kept. I keep it at the shop because the garage at the house isn't quite big enough, and I've got the hot rod in it anyway. Uh, so, you know, like I have a problem. I keep trying to convince my wife, you know, like, do we really need all these rooms downstairs in the house? She's not buying it, Sally. What do you think's wrong with her? She won't let me, like, I want to get rid of the family room and the living room. I said, you know, we could just extend the garage this way and make like a six-car deep garage. You know, she said, well, yeah. I said, you don't need a kitchen. We eat out anyway. Who cares? I don't know. She has no sense of humor. She put it with me for 37 years. Well, there's got to be something to her. Um, so, yeah, I get it. So the question is to go out and buy a Suburban, a new Suburban, and I priced them last year because I was thinking about it, and then she <laughs> then she caught on to what I was doing. Um, a new Suburban, you know, it's $74,000 by the time you want to get into the game, and you say that around your tongue three times fast, and you go, gee whiz, you know, we could probably feed a small army in Bolivia for that kind of money for at least six weeks. So it's not a great idea. Um so the question for you is, how rusty is it? You know, it's only, yeah, it's only bubbling up. You know, I'm starting to see it. And then on the front door, towards the front, and maybe the water doesn't drain, it actually has like a, a quarter-size rust spot uniformly on both the passenger side and the driver's side where it's showing absolute rust through all the paint and the clear coat and what have you. And around the wheel well. It's all it's bubbling up, so that's where we're at with it. So, so I just assume keep it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I would probably first first place you've got to go is you got to get a body shop guy to look at it. All right, body shop okay. guys. You know, some of them don't want to do rust. Some of them are afraid of it. Some of them don't feel like they can make money at it. And be honest with the guy. Listen, I'm asking you to not just fix what you see now. I'm ask I'm asking you to fix what's coming a year from now. So maybe it's take the door panels off, figure out the drains, mm. make sure the drains are open, paint the inside of the doors, right? Let's throw a coat mm -hmm. of let's throw a coat of Benjamin Moore low luster alkalide rust preventative paint in there. When I bought my new plow truck last September, I've said this before, I didn't drive the truck for two weeks. I took the whole thing apart underneath. I, I sat there with the spray gun at night and I painted the whole bottom of the chassis. Uh, you know, because okay. that that matters. So maybe get them to paint inside the doors as well as fix the stuff outside. But then you've also got to look at the brake and the fuel lines. Kind of common on GMs to rust and be an issue, too, over a period of time, especially living in a high-salt rust state like Maine, right? You guys put a lot mm -hmm. of chemical down on the road in the winter. So that becomes an issue as well. And, you know, for conversation's sake... What's cheaper, right? To spend three to five thousand dollars on rust repair and preventative, or seventy-two thousand dollars on another one? Yeah, and, yeah, and and even and if, I got the new motor. <laughs> right. Well, you've got a new engine, right? If if yeah. if heaven forbid the trans fail, the trans is I don't know. A trans is still four or five grand. Okay, 
That's now you're up to fifteen thousand dollars, or well, you're up to ten plus whatever the engine cost. So let's say fifteen. All right, fifteen. Here, do this. Go fifteen thousand, seventy-two thousand, fifteen thousand, seventy. You know, no matter how many times you say it, it's 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 like wow, what a difference. Um, you know, and where do I think you could go? You'll probably get another five six years out of the truck. Yeah. And then yeah. and then how and long I, do you oh, want to keep I, it? Oh, me, I'd like to keep it. I'm probably another at least five years till kids out of college. <laughs> and there you go. All right, and that's exactly and that's exactly so. You got to find the right guys. Got to give it a little TLC and a little rust prevention, and then you know just budget some money away for the repairs that might crop up. Put away 150 a month. I'm sure this is paid for. Put away 150 a month towards a a repair budget, and I bet you five years from now you still got a great running, great looking truck. Thanks, Sally. I appreciate the call. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Ron Nene, the car doctor. Thanks for being with us this hour. You know, I just want to talk a little bit about Memorial Day from a car perspective in that they expect, and, and they're right, the, the traffic in North Jersey yesterday, I'm sure other parts of the country, was just unbelievable. You could you could probably walk on the hoods of cars to get across the Hudson River yesterday. And from what I understand, coming out of the tunnel and the bridge, it was just crazy traffic. We've got to think about the car, right? There's a show about cars. We're going to think about cars. Um, I want to think about tires. Tires are so critical. Uh, you know, and, and yesterday was just kind of a shock to me that it was interesting, once again, the non-regular customers, the people that show up once every 14 months or, you know, once every three years, and all of a sudden they dawn on. And it, it, I can honestly say all the regular customers at the shop, we didn't see any of them for any unexpected maintenance. Everybody was prepared and ready to go. It was all the unexpected. This is the end. This is we're in the midst of National Tire Week, right? And um, I was reading this press release from the Car Care Council, and I was thinking about it. Um, they're talking about maintaining a vehicle's tires is essential to maximize tire life and ensure safety on the road. And I'm thinking, no better time to talk about it than Memorial Day weekend. It's the beginning of the summer driving season. Tires are what holds us up. Yesterday at the shop, tire sales were off the wall. And I'm saying, why is that? Why is that always at the last minute? And I said, I have to mention it on the show this week. I'm wondering how many people have let their tires go, and maybe even still now haven't, you know, you haven't had an oil change. If you haven't had an oil change in four months or five months, chances are you probably need air in your tires, or at least to have your tires inspected to make sure there's no cuts, bruises, abrasions, no damage to the tire, and that they're at the proper level, and also have the spare tire check. All right, you can read more about tire safety and maintenance. Get out to ustires.org slash safety to talk about service intervals. And you can also visit the Car Care Council's uh, website and get their digital car care guide, carcare.org. But do that and be safe this Memorial Day weekend. Ride your tires. They're what's holding you up. Till the next time, I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless.